0: Look with me in Exodus chapter 20. We are uh, thrilled to death to be able to get in the Word of God today. And uh, we have been looking uh, at a series entitled The Foundations of Hope. And when we look at the Old Testament, sometimes we think, well, this is irrelevant. The Old Testament doesn't really matter. But I'm grateful for the Old Testament. I'm grateful for the foundation that God gave us in the Old Testament. And God built upon that when he came to the New Testament. And, you know, there were th- certain things that Christ's death on the cross removed. And, you know, no longer do I have to offer a sacrifice. No longer do I have to celebrate the ceremonial law. No longer do I have to worry about those things. But God didn't abolish the moral law. And there's a a great value in love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy mind and thy soul. And the first two commandments that God gives us, and the first four commandments God gives us, deals with how to love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. John Calvin once said, Our hearts are idle factories. Chew on that for a second. We have a propensity to create idols, don't we? And a matter of fact, where the gospel has not been preached, we have a desire, uh, man naturally has a desire to worship something, and we see where they will erect idols, they will build sculptures, they will do whatever it, could, it takes, and they will worship these I- idols because we want something to worship. And so Exodus chapter 20, as God begins, He says, I am the Lord thy God. God settles forever and establishes it right at the beginning with the very first commandment we started last uh, two weeks ago. He said, listen, above everything else, you need to recognize I am God. Nobody else. There's not room for another God because there is only one God today. And if you look at the the Hebrew word for the word Lord, there it's Jehovah or Yahweh. And the name Jehovah word is, is made up of three Hebrew words meaning He who will be, He who is, and He who was. You listen, we serve a God who always has been and always will be. I had a birthday, and I'll have a death day, but God had neither. He didn't have a birthday, and He will never have a death day. God lives and reigns forever for all of eternity. And so when we think about God this morning, I want you to recognize that we serve a God who is able. Amen. We don't serve a puny little idol today, but instead we serve a God who is more than able, who is more than capable. He always has been and and He was never created. He always will be. He has always been and always will be God. And today we celebrate that. I'm grateful for the music this morning, Brother Greg. To God be the glory, great thing He has done. We think about praise Him, praise Him. His name is wonderful. Some of these songs that we sang this morning and many others we could sing, sing countless songs about the goodness of God and the the majesty of who God is. And this morning we sit back in awe. And I'm just amazed that God lets us gather together for the purpose of worshiping Him. So let's do this this morning. Would you stand with me? Let's start in Exodus chapter 20. Originally I was going to start in verse 4, but I want to back up to verse number 1 and kind of get into the context of verse 4 through 6. And God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, with grateful hearts, grateful that you are God alone. Lord, we don't have to worry about eating our ancestors today. Lord, we don't have to worry about bowing down to numerous different idols. Lord, we serve the living God, the risen Savior. And today we celebrate that together as a church body. But God, even more than just some of these carved images, sometimes we have a propensity to raise up idols in our heart. Lord, things that get exalted above your name, Lord, forgive us. And may we exalt your name in our hearts. May we exalt the precious name of Jesus Christ today, for there is none other name in heaven. We praise You, Lord. May Your Word go forth and pierce even the hardest of hearts this morning. And may we be willing to just lean into You and to submit to Your leadership. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we look at Exodus chapter 20, I just wanted to take a moment and define a few words for us today as we look at this. And he says, and thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. The word make literally means to do, to make wrought, to deal uh, or commit or to offer, to perform, to work, uh, is a, has to do with a, make, a maker or even maintaining. Really the, the definition is to do, to fashion, to accomplish or to make. Consider this with me. In the context of what we're dealing with here, God is saying, listen, do not fashion, do not make, do not fabricate any other image. Not any image in heaven. And He's talking about the, the stars of the sky and not anything on this earth that we see with our eyes. He says not anything under the earth. Anything that you can imagine. He says, listen, he says, you are not uh, to create any kind of image uh, at all. And we consider that because... We have a, t- a tendency when we create I- images, even sometimes images like the cross, and we tend to worship those things instead of the Creator. And so he begins here, and he begins to remind us of, of uh, just who he is and remind us of that he is the real deal. It says the context of making something an imitation of something. Anybody uh, drink Dr. Pepper in here? I mean real Dr. dr. Pepper drinkers. I'm not talking about you Dr. Thunder drinkers. That doesn't count. I'm talking about you go to the store and you pay the high price for that Dr. Pepper. i got some real true Dr. Pepper th- fans. Now, what happens when you go into a restaurant and you say, I'd like to have a Dr. Pepper, and they say, well, we don't have Dr. Pepper products. We have Pepsi products or some other uh, weak and soft drink, amen? <laughs> and you're like, well, uh, well, what is the Dr. Pepper equivalent? Well, we have this thing called, uh, I don't know, Mr. Pepper. And you're like, well, you know, that's just not the same. I'll have water instead. Can I get a witness to that? You don't want the imitation, do you? I want the real thing. Give me the real stuff. And, you know, this has the idea here of when we're talking about uh, making a graven image. He says you're making an imitation of something that's not real in your life. You're making an imitation of the real thing. Why would you want the imitation when you can have the real thing? And today as we consider the Ten Commandments of God, he says, listen, I am God. But listen, secondly, he says, recognize in my headship in your life, don't have any imitators. Nobody that can come and say, listen, I, I want to copy God in, in my life. Why do people want an imitation? I can tell you why I don't buy Dr. Pepper. It's too expensive. That's all the reason. The price is too much to pay. Anybody else with me? I'm a cheapskate by nature. And I know it, and I'm not recovering. I'm not trying to overcome it. I just want to be a cheapskate for the rest of my life. Amen? And And so I recognize that that may be a problem for some of you, but it's not for me. And so we think about this, and he says, Listen, some people are not willing to pay the price. Some people are not willing to pay the price to have the real God in their life. So they set up these false gods. Because the price isn't as expensive. You see, God calls us to worship Him alone, supreme above everything else. You know, sports aren't going to get my way, my work schedule's not going to get my way. None of these things are going to hinder me from being able to worship the real and true God. None of these things are as important as Him. Sometimes we just don't want to humble ourselves before God. You know, think about humility. Humility is not always something that's easy to do, is it? Humility, to be able to bow yourself down to something as something as great as God, you would think would come easy and naturally, especially the one who created all things, the, cr- the one who sustains all things, the one who provides salvation for us today. You would think that, that we would come easily before the throne of grace, but sometimes we just don't want to. We say, well, God, I know you've called me to this, but I don't know that you know what you're thinking. Even Moses had that problem, didn't he? Moses, as he stood before the burning bush, he said, God, well, I've got a stutter. And God says, don't worry, I've got this. Sometimes we think, well, the price to walk with God is too high to pay. Consider with me for a moment. What does it take to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? That can be difficult at times, can't it? That can require us to be willing to say no to that desire, that youthful flesh, that youthful desire, and just be willing to say yes to God, to establish discipline, to be willing to establish some guards and some, some safeties in our life. Sometimes the price for some of our brethren is persecution. We think about some of the persecuted church today. And throughout the world, uh, we see more and more Christians who are persecuted as a result of their faith. Listen, are we willing to pay that kind of price? Regardless of the price that God's calling us to pay, He is always worth it. It is never worth it to have an imitation. God created us as beings that want to worship. We want to worship something. In a heart of hearts, I think about this, and you know, in a heart of hearts, no matter where you may go on the earth, people worship something. Are you worshiping something that's worthy? Because worship literally means worthy of praise. You know, if I was to take this microphone and I said, man, this is so incredible. This thing produces sound and it amplifies my sound and it is, it is pretty awesome and I just want to bow down to it. Eventually, the batteries in this thing are going to give out. And without me continually maintaining it, it is not going to be worthy of my praise. You know, but so you think, well, that's kind of silly, Pastor. That's kind of weird to, to talk about that. But we have silly things in our life like that, don't we? Any, anybody, any Dallas Cowboy fanatics in here? Amen. Amen. Some of you are, and uh, I appreciate you. Amen. And a fanatic is someone truly who loves their team no matter what. In the 90s, when the Dallas Cowboys were winning, they were called America's Team. Did anybody remember this? I was a kid. I was probably 10 or 11, and they were going to the Super Bowl, and they were going back-to-back Super Bowl, and they were going back-to-back-to-back Super Bowl. And, man, we were so excited, riding the wave. And Man, it was exciting. Everybody talked about the Dallas Cowboys. But I'll tell you what, when when that wave stopped, when they lost their coach, and Aikman went away, and Emmitt Smith went away, and all these great players, they disappeared off the scene, and drug problems became a continual issue in the Cowboys, guess what, so did the fans also left the scene. How many of you hate the Dallas Cowboys today? <laughs> Amen. There's more of those in here. You know, when we think about that and we think about really devotion to something is really what, we, what we're talking about here today. We're talking about worship. We're talking about this idea of complete and total devotion, giving devotion to God above everything else in our life. Listen, God, you're more important than a football game. You're more important than money. You're more important even than my own family. God, you are priority in my life above everything else. Worship is not merely an aspect of our being, but the essence of our being is God's image bearers. As a result, all of life is ceaseless worship. Practically, this means that while worship does include cor- corporate worship meetings like we're doing together, singing songs, even preaching, it is not limited by these things defined solely as these things or expressed only in these things because worship never stops, rather we're continually giving ourselves away or pouring ourselves out for a person, a cause, an experience, achievement, or a status. What do you worship today? Without the power of the Holy Spirit, no person ever really worships God. You can't. Matter of fact, Romans 1.25 reminds us that in our own natural self, he says, we, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator... That's our natural tendency. Without the Lord's help, without His intervention in our life, we have a desire to be idolaters. So Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he wrote and warned them about idolatry. And he says this in verse 13. And this is an encouraging verse for us today. He says, there is no temptation taken you. Consider the, the city of Corinth with me. They were a city taken wholly in idolatry. And this is what he says. There's no trial, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, as a result of this, because God is with you, because God is faithful in the midst of this trial, my dearly beloved, he says, flee from idolatry. That's God's command. God is telling us today, listen, we, because of God's power in our life, we can flee idolatry. He would say, I don't have any carved images, Pastor, in my home. I understand. We're going to talk about three different types of idolatry today. Three different types of idolatry. And the first one would be pretty obvious. You'll be like, oh yeah, I obviously know what he's talking about. And this is pagan idolatry. And we think about pagan idolatry, we think of uh, false gods that are set up, or maybe the Buddhist uh, little uh, statues you see at the Chinese restaurants, and, and we look at these things and we think, now these are obviously pagan, this is pagan idolatry here. We think of maybe an uncivilized tribe who is bowing down to some carved image out of stone or wood, but, but we, don't, we don't necessarily uh, identify it always as, as what it really is. Pagan idolatry is characterized by practices that are uh, explicitly spiritual in nature but do not involve God the Father, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit. Listen, in the book of Daniel, he was faced with this on a regular basis. We read in the book of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where uh, King Nebuchadnezzar raised up this giant 90-foot tall image, and he commanded everyone to bow down before this great image. And he says, listen, whoever doesn't bow down will be thrown into a fiery furnace. You know, I I think that uh, probably some of those people would uh, would have been elbowing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, hey, you don't have to really bow down in your heart, just bow down in person. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, "Listen, we're not bound to any idol that's man-made. We serve one God, and that's that's it. No others." But then, in, in the book of Daniel, we also find where Belshazzar, uh, he as he came to power, he was a very idolatrous king, and he was a king that desired all kinds of uh, evil, and and he was a very uh, lustful and uh, king, and he brought all kinds of uh, garbage into uh, into Babylon, and as we consider his reign, we look at Daniel chapter 5 and we see that in Daniel chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 that he was having a huge celebration and a great party and he ordered the vessels from the house of God to be brought in so that they could use them in their idolatrous practice. And in Daniel chapter 5 in verse 3 it says then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem and the king and his princes his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold. Notice that's a little g. The gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. They took these holy vessels, these things that, God had, that they had consecrated for the use of worshiping God, and they uh, made them vile and disgusting. They've used them in their idolatrous practices. And boy, we, we look at that and we think, man, that is a terrible thought. You know, we this is a, we call this our sanctuary. We call this a place where we get to meet with God. Now listen, God resides in the temple of our hearts, amen? But if you came in here with a can of spray paint and started to spray paint the walls, you might have about 300 people pulling something on you and wanting to hurt you. We find this place to be a place that's special because we come here to meet with the Lord. I've got a place in my own home like that. I've got a place in my office like that. I've got a place where where I come and I meet with the Lord. It's a special place. And listen, I don't want you doing anything that you shouldn't in those areas. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, "What Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So let me ask you this. Do you choose to use the temple of God in pagan practices? What am I talking about? Well, let me, let's talk about a few, few things on a, really on a, a, a on down-to-earth on, down level. Did you realize yoga in its truest forms attempts to connect to nature? It bows down to idols. It uses transcendental meditation and other things of pagan idolatry. Listen, this is not something that's just a cute exercise. We have to be be careful about some of these things that that sneaks into Christian lives. Or how about Hinduism or Buddhism and other forms of nature-driven spirituality? These things are things that we must watch out for. Ouija boards, crystal balls, tarot cards, and reading the stars and other things. Listen, horoscopes even. All of these things are things that we must say no to as a believer. I'm not going to allow these idols in my home. I'm going to make sure that these things are not a part of my life. I'm going to make sure that my kid doesn't have these apps on their phone. I'm going to make sure that I don't look at those things. I'm going to make sure that my life there is one God and He is elevated above everything else. Hideyoshi, a Japanese warlord who ruled over Japan in the late 1500s, he commissioned a colossal statue of Buddha for a shrine to be built in uh, Kyoto. It took 50,000 men five years to build this shrine. But the work had scarcely been finished when an earthquake in 1596 brought the entire roof of the shrine crashing down and wrecked the whole statue. In a rage, uh, Hayadoshi shot an arrow at the fallen colossus, and he said, I put you here at great expense, and you can't even look after your own temple. Listen, that's that's what pagan gods are good for. Nothing. We serve a real god today, don't we? We serve a God who is able. He's not a graven image. He's not an idol. He's nothing of that nature. He is the living God. He is the true God. And He is the one that we worship today. Exodus 20, verse 5 says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God doesn't want these things in our life. He wants us to be focused securely and supremely upon Him. Listen, pagan idolatry may not be an issue in your life, but there's another one that may be. It may be secular idolatry. Because unlike pagan idolatry, secular idolatry is harder to spot in our lives. It's because it's generally it's free of religious language. It doesn't have a lot of spiritual practices. Even people who don't consider themselves spiritual are involved in secular idolatry. And listen, it's the most common form of idolatry in the modern Western world. What in the world are we talking about? Revelation chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ warns the church of Laodicea because they had fallen fallen into this type of idolatry. The Laodiceans were uh, coming to wealth. They were comfortable. No longer did they have to trust God. They just trusted self. In verse 14, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful... And true, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I worked, thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, and that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see." This church had fallen into this idea of secular idolatry. They had become so uh, comfortable with their riches. They would become so comfortable with where they were that they didn't have to worry anymore with, with uh, you know trusting God. Forget that trusting God stuff. We can do this on our own. You know, there's a great temptation to stop trusting God when things are going along pretty smooth. There's a great temptation to begin to coast. And this is what he's talking about here. He's talking about apathy in our lives. And he says, listen, he says, we've got to guard to make sure that, that we continually stay fervent for the Lord. We continually have a desire and earnest spirits to continually to give our lives to Him. And he says, listen, I, go, I counsel thee by gold tried in the fire. He's saying, I want you to invest instead of in the earthly goods, but in heavenly goods. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 deals with this, and he talks about the the need of having gold that's been tried, things that will last for eternity, not things that that burn up and go away. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which some coveted after but they erred from the, the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows listen the gods of our culture are sex money power physical appearance family romance fame leisure celebrity success food comfort image and all kinds of other things and let me tell you that people even in religious circles give themselves away to these gods they let we let them dominate our lives but god is saying will you come back to me Will you put me on the throne? Will you renounce these hidden idols? Will you throw these things out? And will you be willing to say, God, I serve you alone? Sometimes teenagers struggle in in, uh, certain areas. And for an example, this is not just a teenager problem. This can be anybody. A girl may think that the worst thing imaginable is not to be the object of some boy's attention and affection. And for her, this is hell. Hell. On the flip side, the best thing she can imagine is for a cute boy to be totally enthralled with her. And so this seems like heaven. And therefore, in order for her to get out of her functional hell and into her functional heaven, she needs a God to save her, a boy who likes her. Do you see the problem with this? Do you see the danger of this idol in her life? Though almost no teen girl would say her boyfriend is a God to her, she would often act like it. Her first thought in the morning, her last thought before sleep. He is the the one who is trusted to take away her loneliness and bring her meaning to her life. It's her source of happiness, her source of, of worth. In other words, she's made her boyfriend her God. James Marshall, he left his family's home in New Jersey as a young man and wanted to migrate west. This was uh, around 1845. He, he, uh, he desired to go west, and he went all the way uh, to, uh, from Missouri. Uh, he contracted mal- malaria, and then he went into uh, California and just was seeking just thrill and adventure. He worked a number of different jobs and really served in the Army during the Mexican-American World War in 1846. And when he got out, a man he had earlier befriended, John Sutter, uh, they began a partnership agreement, and they wanted to build a sawmill and so they, be, they built a spillway, they built a the sawmill, but they discovered their spillway was too small, and so and they, they had to enlarge it, and as they were enlarging it, they found flakes of gold in the water. Now, that's pretty exciting, wouldn't it be? I, you know, some of you are like, ooh, yeah, gold. Matter of fact, this discovery on January twenty first, 1848, sparked one of the greatest gold rushes in all of history. But listen, Marshall didn't benefit from that. Matter of fact... He lost everything. The mill project failed. He didn't find any gold in his, uh, in his uh, mines that he had dug. And a matter of fact, when he died of old age, he was alone, in a small shack, in poverty. We have a tendency sometimes to trust in riches, and sometimes God lets us accumulate some financial resources. But let me remind you, they must not become an idol. We must continue to allow God to be God alone. There's one last idolatry I want to deal with today, and that's religious idolatry. And probably this is seen, and we recognize it. I praise the Lord for my heritage as a Baptist, and I praise the Lord for my heritage uh, that I come from a family who loved the Lord, who loved the Word of God and taught it to me as a child. But listen, not everyone comes from this kind of of lineage. Sometimes people, even in our own church, grew up in a a lineage and a heritage where you grew up in a place that was full of of worship of false uh, gods and even false um, religious artifacts. As a matter of fact, many people worship today even sacred relics. Judges chapter 8 and verse 27, we see where Gideon, as God led him and God led to victory over the Midianites, that he made a golden ephod. And this golden ephod became an idol of worship. And this is what the Bible says in Judges chapter 8 and verse 27 And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in a city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it. Which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house? This thing, I'm sure Gideon in his mind thought, this is going to be something to help us remember God's victory over the Midianites. We can continue to follow God. But what it became was an object, it became an idol. There's other things even today. Have you ever heard of the true cross? Anybody ever heard of the true cross? Probably Brother Weigel has, maybe someone else. There there are some that believe that there are about nine different pieces of the original cross of Christ that still exist today. And they believe that contain special powers. Matter of fact, every year on Palm Sunday, thousands of people gather in the village, and I'm going to butcher the name because it's the Greece name, but Petrocarasa in Greece, to welcome the Holy Cross of the monastery <laughs> There's another name I can't say, but I'm just going to call it Xerox. E-X, or X-E-R-O-P-O-T-A-M-O-U. The welcoming ceremony is a, a really a momentous event, and it's organized with all kinds of ecclesiastical grandeur. We see all kinds of people coming in and the journey. Uh, they have uh, people blaring horns, and, and it's a great uh, celebratory event, and it occurs, has occurred every year on Palm Sunday since 1768. They worship the cross instead of the, the one who died on it. No longer do they worship God, but instead they're worshiping a relic. Listen, I don't know if that cro- it's really a piece of the cross or not. I have my doubts. But this is what I do know, that Christ is God alone. Amen. That no one else deserves our worship. That that piece of wood doesn't contain any special powers. Only God does today. Imagine a person who comes to church faithfully every week. They sing songs. They listen politely. They, they, uh, they put money in the offering. They perform rituals that are expected of them. Maybe they, uh, they take the Lord's Supper. Maybe they've been baptized. And they do all of this because it's the thing that is expected out of religious people. And they assume that they're in God's good graces. But here's the true, uh, true fact. They were, they're not really trusting in God. These things don't save them. These things don't give them a hope of heaven. Only one thing gives us a hope of heaven, and that's Jesus Christ alone. Listen, there may be some ceremonies that you're putting your faith in. It may be, well, I pray every day. It may be that, well, I read my Bible every day. It may be, well, I go to church faithfully. All these things are good, but they do not save. There's only one God that saves today. There's only one God who is worthy of our our worship today. There's only one that we can turn to in our time of need, and that is Jesus Christ alone. Listen, they're per- trusting in their performance. They're not trusting in God to save them. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, this is what Jesus said. Woe to you, Pharisees, or scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed uh, appear beautiful outward, but within full of dead men's bones. Listen, he says, just like a, a sepulchre that looks beautiful on the outside, and they've been whitewashed and they've been cleaned, and that, that rock sparkles, he says, But inside is a dirty, filthy Place. The same thing is what happens when we worship God falsely. There's one more thing I wanted to share with you. This is the, go ahead, Brian. I think it's the next one. These are the doors uh, that are called the Holy Doors of Mercy in St. Peter's Basilica, Rome. In 2016, the Roman Catholic Church declared uh, 2016 a year of mercy. And said that the holy doors of Rome would be opened for a limited time. And listen, anyone who passed through the doors would have their sins absolved. Those doors were made by man. Those doors don't save. Those doors can't remove sin. Even the man who's pictured right there, he cannot remove your sin. Only one can today. His name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And the Bible says in Revelation, he says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And he says, Will you let me in? And so today, let me ask you, what are you worshiping? What are we choosing to worship today? What are we choosing to say? Listen, I want to lift up high above everything else because this is what I know. False idols will demand your attention. False idols will diminish your affection. False idols will destroy the work of atonement in your life. And so what are you worshiping? What are we choosing to worship? I choose personally to love the Lord thy God. I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. And there's going to be days where I fail, but I'm going to come back to Him and say, Lord, forgive me, because 1 John 1, 9 reminds us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we, as, as we think about this today, let me just finish with one final illustration. Imagine for the first time you come into the United States of America, and you've never been here before. And you come and you want, to experience, you want to experience what the culture is like. You want to know what people worship. You want to know what they really celebrate. And so you come into the United States of America and it's a, the, you come in on a Saturday night and you think, well, Sunday. I always hear about Sunday and people go to these places to worship on Sunday. And so you think, I'm going to go. I'm going to find out what they worship. And you, and you go to this, this place and you walk in and, and, and you're a little early, but you notice the, that, that uh, the parking lot's a little empty. And you walk in and, and you sit down and, and, and as you sit there you notice, man, there's not very many people here yet. The things get started and you get to thinking, well, I guess nobody really cares about the preliminaries. I guess it's not that important. And and so you're sitting back and you're just you're observing people and some music starts and you see people half-hearted singing, maybe not singing at all, and people start trickling in late. And you see this going on in 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 this this environment, and then someone gets up to speak, and as they, they begin speaking toward the end, you notice people are looking at their watches, and they're saying, what time is it? I was teasing someone before church, and I said, I forgot my watch today, so that's probably a bad sign. And they reminded me that it's on the wall. <laughs> and I said, and, and, and as you watch, you're, you're looking at people, they seem antsy, and as soon as the final amen is said, they're out the door, liquidly split, or, or they stand in the hallway, and they talk about another ceremony. You hear about this other religious exercise that had happened the day before. And when they're talking about it, they're animated, they're excited about it, and you're thinking, well, what in the world are they talking about? And so uh, you you hear them talking about the crowds, and you hear them talking about the roar, and you hear them talking about the the different things that happened, and you think, well, well I've got to figure out what this is This may be, that's really what they worship and so through the week you hear people talking about it now, you know how how one event went or how another event went but all happens on Saturday and, and you think alright Saturday I'm going and, and so you get there early and you notice that people are already there people have driven from two and three hours to be at this event, people are set up in the parking lot and they've got their tailgates down and they're cutting up and they're having fun, they come into the stadium early and you look around and you see thousands of people all surrounding this, this and looking down on this green spot in the field and you're thinking what in the world is happening this has got to be some great moment of celebration and, and as you look on as a, as a uh, just someone who's an, uh, just observing you see people yelling and screaming and people with weird looking hats and some people without their shirt and they paint their bellies and you're like what kind of weird worship is this and and you, you see all this stuff happening and and boy when, when as you go through the game you see people engaged and they hate to leave and go to the bathroom and they come back in a, in a hurry and, and then when it goes into overtime they're like like, praise God this is awesome what a great day. And you think and, and you're watching all of this happen and people are slapping each other in the back and they're having a great time and as you're observing the two ceremonies and the two places of worship which one do you think is more important? Which one is the most important from your uh, your eyes? Listen, in our society we've elevated sports to the point where it wars for our attention. Sports war for our affection. They war for our time and our money. Sports can dominate our lives in so many ways. Listen, idolatry is not just about people with carved images. It can be something even about sports. Something as simple as that. Jesus said this in Matthew 22:37: 37. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. The first commandment, the greatest commandment, is to love God. How do we do that? Establish Him as God in your life. It starts, first off, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Christian, do you know you're saved today? Amen? Can we give, give me an amen. Man, and there's nothing like being able to know that you know that you know. This is what the Bible says. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that He promises us, uh, us a home in heaven with Him for eternity. It's not a maybe salvation. It's not a hope-so salvation. It's a no-so salvation. And this is what God teaches us today, that, that God wants us to put Him and establish Him as the Lord of our life. And so I invite you this morning. If you don't know whether Christ is your Savior, if you don't know if you're going to heaven or not, you can, you can come down here. This, we call this an altar. This is a place where we come and we meet with God. And you can come down to this place in just a few minutes and you can know beyond any, any shadow of a doubt that God has a home prepared for you in heaven. If you've got doubts, let me tell you, we want to share with you the gospel of Christ. But maybe, Christian, we need to be reminded of 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Maybe we've elevated something in our life. Maybe we built up something that doesn't belong there. Listen, even good things, even good things like our family can hinder our walk with God. Will, will we be willing to say, God, you're first. Above everything else in my life, Lord, I want you to be first today. I want you to be exalted. I want you to be God. I want you to be lifted up. I want my family, I want each of us to come to you with humility and be able to say, Lord, you are God alone. That's my desire today.